We can infer from the divided reaction to the passing of Henry Kissinger last week that his legacy is complex, just like the world he had tried to navigate. The spectrum runs large from his reputation as a groundbreaking diplomat, a Peace Prize recipient to a warmonger. His influence, however, for better or for worse, was undeniably significant. For a close-up at the life and works of Henry Kissinger, we're now joined by Professor Kim Byung-ju of the Hankook University of Foreign Studies. Good morning, Professor Kim. Good morning. We need to somehow manage to review the legacy of Henry Kissinger in 15 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> Good luck to you. <laughs> Very difficult. Right, exactly. Uh, but nonetheless, we'll have to try because it's mm-hmm. the conversation that is unfolding online and offline. Right. Uh, the death of the former Secretary of State prompted divided reaction, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Different evaluations can be drawn for his diplomatic achievements and foreign policy. Right. So how does the world remember Kissinger, Dr. Kim? Right. Uh, diversity, variety of opinion is something that we uh, take notice of here. Uh, looking back, this is really uh, amazing uh, because he was active for about 10 years period uh, from the end of 60s until the uh, late part of uh, 1970s. Mm-hmm. And 10 years being active and since then for 45 years, 50 years, We've been talking about him, his legacies, and mm. and uh, mixed views about what he had uh, achieved and what he uh, means, what he meant for the world. And so, quite interesting. Ten years, very busy time, and since then, us uh, we spent so much time talking about him. He passed away, and now it's the wrap up period of uh, as we look at his legacy. But overall. Uh, as your question about how the world remembers him, I think the response really varies depending on which part of the world we are talking about. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, what we are thinking about here is China, Soviet Union, Vietnam, mm. Israel, Indo-Pakistan, India, Pakistan, uh, you know, uh, even even far away part of the world from here, Chile, mm. Argentina. Africa, Eastern Timor. Uh, he had his uh, you know, legacy in in all these parts of mm. around the world, and and what he did in, with regard to these different parts around the world, there are all these different reactions, different evaluations. So very difficult to summar summarize uh, his legacy and his uh, what he meant for the world. But I guess we can start by mm, focusing on. Uh, three major countries that uh, where he produced his results, uh, failure or achievements. That is, China, of course, tops the mm. list. Kind of, you know, his lifting of so-called uh, the bamboo curtain, mm. uh, bringing China to the world stage. Mm. And a lot of people have, uh, you know, uh, argued and criticized that he's the one who made China strong. He, he offered- <laughs> That being, was the start. <laughs> right, that was the start he offered. So China part is one. And then uh, Soviet Union detente, uh, long before the collapse of Soviet Union, uh, during the 70s detente, uh, kind of different stage. Before then, there was a really hard confrontation uh with the, the soviet union that united states was going through but but he initiated the uh, you know area of the time talking discussing negotiating being at the table together with the soviet union that's something new 
so if you combine China and Soviet Union, he's he's a realist who wanted to talk about the real interest of the United States going beyond the ideology, uh, values, and all that. Mm. And the last one is uh, Vietnam, where he actually had to accept the defeat mm. of the United States. Right. As we look back, uh, you know, the United States became superpower after World War II. And we remember uh, North Korea and China were the, 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 the enemies of the United States that the United States could not defeat first. And then actually Vietnam was the first power country that actually defeated the United States. Mm. Uh, you know, the, mm -hmm. in Korea, there was no victory, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And But in Vietnam, uh, communist Vietnam uh, drew... So accepting that defeat is a hard thing to do for the United States. And that situation, the United States had the perfect head of its foreign policy, mm. uh, Kissinger, who was a realist, who would be willing to accept the reality going beyond values, aspirations, and ideology, and all mm. that kind of stuff. Mm. But having said that, let me briefly add, in different parts of the world, like Chile, Mm -hmm. uh, President Allende was driven out by U.S. government, uh, assassinated by CIA, a lot of people believe. Mm -hmm. And then it, uh, they allowed Pinochet government, the dictatorial government, to be placed in order to serve U.S. interest. So that generated great criticism, mm -hmm. amor uh, immoral or amoral at least. And then Cambodia bombing during the time of Vietnam you know, United States wanted to uh, give uh, a deliberate critical blow to the, the North Vietnamese communists as they were infiltrating South Vietnam through Cambodia track. Mm. They were bombing Cambodia big time. Mm. Uh, Cambodia claimed neutrality at that time, but they're viciously bombing Cambodia, killing so many people. And they said, uh, critics say it paved the way for the killing field actually mm -hmm. in Cambodia. Mm -hmm. So that's terrible, terrible thing that the United States had to do. Mm -hmm. And Indonesia, the Indonesian attack of uh, Eastern Timor massacring uh, the native people in Eastern Timor, United mm -hmm. States, uh, you know, acquiescence that uh, for the interest of Cold War and that kind of stuff. So those were uh, uh, liabilities of Kissinger as right. a realist. And so that's the part we negatively Right. And this is why to this day, Kessinger's uh, 1973 Peace Prize is still disputed. Uh, he was awarded for ending the American involvement in the Vietnam War. But uh, as you pointed out, scrutinized for the secret U.S. bombing campaign of Cambodia. Uh, it was it's yeah. still protested to this day. And, and you know, that, that Peace Prize, I right. should have mentioned, I'm glad you were mentioning it right there. He won the Peace Prize for the Paris Agreement that he reached with mm. communists of northern Vietnam. Mm. But as President Biden pointed out, uh, he pointed out when he had a talk with Kissinger, he said, look, you say this uh, Paris Agreement that you're explaining to me right now is your, such a great achievement. But let me tell you, and then you will realize this is the beginning of the end. Mm. And Park Chan-yong was right. Mm. Uh, with the Peace agreement with the United States, both Vietnamese communists actually began their offense quickly after that, and then they eventually took over South Vietnam. So, you know, mm. Kissinger, smart, bright person, mm. uh, you know, reaching an agreement with North Vietnam, are making an argument that he achieved peace in Vietnam. Right. That didn't go uh, the way he wanted. But a lot of people say he knew it, he's a realist, he just wanted to 
close Vietnam, and that's what it did. So different views and different perspective on that. <laughs> Interesting, All right. right? Absolutely. Which brings us to also our second question. Kissinger's association with Korea seems to also date back over uh, seven decades when he first visited the country to analyze the outbreak of the Korean War. How does Korea remember him and his legacy? I guess uh, one kind of relatively minor positive side with other, not really ne necessarily negative, but kind of a reminding the reality of the world politics. So in general, I don't think we we appreciate Nick uh, uh, Kissinger as much. What I'm saying is on the positive side, there has been speculation that he's the one who intervened to save lives, life of Kim Dae-jung when he was oh. abducted uh -huh. from Tokyo and when he was put on a ship uh, in the East Sea and he was about to be executed uh, the united states government intervened and saved his life and that meant a lot for korean democratization because mm -hmm. we needed kim yong-sam kim dae-jung and these you know leaders of democratization movement in order for us to achieve democratization so uh in that regard a lot of people have argued that we owe united states big time for korea's regaining freedom in our politics and mm -hmm. and they say you know kissinger's intervention uh, alleged intervention made a difference so that's the one positive side but but the other uh, on the other hand there are things that we remember for example Kissinger being a realist right mm, uh, like mm -hmm. uh, going over and beyond aspirations and then values and ideology he's the one who abruptly reduced uh troops u.s troops in korea mm. late 70s under Park Chung-hee government and Park Chung-hee government was pushed to seek uh you know greater in independence from the united states protection and in in doing so Park Chung-hee government wanted to develop nuclear weapons mm. and kissinger is the one who intervened and then stopped it mm. uh quite forcefully mm. so we have those memories as well so in balance mm. both positive and not so positive some pundits say that in recent years, Kissinger has become more relevant again in explaining the way our world works. How do you explain this viewpoint, Dr. Kim? I think it makes uh, good sense, right? Because uh, as we look back, as I mentioned earlier, his time, late 60s, 70s, was the time when the United States had to accept the reality that the United States was no longer the, the uh, supreme power uh, hegemony that itself established uh, right after World War II. So fighting in Vietnam, uh, fighting all the problems at home and abroad, the United States had to accept that it had to give up its predominant position in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, Kissinger is the one who made that happen, United States accepting its oh. its limitations, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what happened until the end of 70s. And then, interestingly though, uh, 80s and 90s, we saw United States resurgent mm. coming back up to the top of the world, mm. ending the Cold War and everything. Mm. And uh, that period was followed by, as we know, 2001, 9-1-1, and, uh, you know, the George W. Bush fighting mm. the war against terror. Either, you're either with us or against us, that, mm. that hubris. Yes. United States being on the top of the world, driving everything and everything. And, and then quickly, though, that kind of tradition was followed by 2007 financial crisis. I think the recent period where we think Kissinger is relevant again starts from that point, 2007 mm -hmm. financial crisis. And since then, Obama came into office. He began talking about 
offshore balancing, encouraging allies to solve their problems on their own. Uh. It kind of resonates with the Nixon-Guam uh, doctrine where mm. Kissinger uh, had Nixon announced that allies, you have to take care of yourself on your own mm. at the end of Vietnam War. So there was a resonance uh, during the Vietnam, uh, Obama years, mm. resemblance. So that's the time when Kissinger came back. And since then, we have all these difficulties everywhere around the world. And we have Trump and we have Biden. So for the last about 15 years, I guess we have seen the period of the world where Kissinger suddenly began mm. uh, to make more sense as compared to the time of 80s, 90s, 2000, when mm. you know we were talking about globalization, mm. idealism, liberal, liberalism, and so on. Uh, Dr. Kim, nobody's born a realist. I think you're made into one. And many say his ideas of realism had its deep roots in his early years of life. Are you talking about him witnessing the Holocaust, maybe fleeing from Nazi Germany? Exactly. Uh, Kissinger's personal story is really fascinating. And we are reminded that, you know, he, even though he led U.S. diplomacy and led the U.S. government, uh, and has remained such an inflation figure for decades. Actually, his birthplace was Germany. He was German Jew, mm. and he was born in Germany uh, 1923 and spent 15 years uh, since his birth. Until he came to the United States, he was a German Jew. And 1920s, 30s, what does German Jew mean? Mm. Second-class citizen. Uh, he was beaten up by uh, you know German youth. He loved soccer game and he wanted to soccer. He wanted to watch soccer. Wanted to watch soccer game, and he sneaked into sneaked into a stadium and he was beaten by German youth uh, who were calling him dirty Jew. And and because he was Jewish, he could not go to the gymnasium. You know the the German uh, high school. Uh. Uh, uh, you know the elite course. He was even he was a bright student, but he was not allowed to uh, enter the the elite course in Germany. And he was he had to work. Uh, so he went through all this suffering and difficulties when he was young, uh, fifteen uh, up until the age of fifteen. That's the formative years. So set, that kind of like determines how you see the world, basically, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. As an underdog, and you see the power and how powerful people can ruin your life and everything. And then he came to the United States at the age of 15, and he worked in factories, mm. uh, but he moved on to, uh, you know, enter high school. He was a brilliant student, mm. and and he entered the college in New York to become an accountant. Mm. The thing is, however, the World War II broke out, mm. and then he went to Germany as a U.S. military mm. uh, intelligence officer, and he was very successful as a military guy yeah. and, and uh, collecting intelligence on the German side using his native language, German. Mm. And after the war, he came back and he uh, transferred to uh, Harvard University. Mm. And since then, everything happened. He was a brilliant student at Harvard. He got his, he graduated from the undergrad. He entered graduate school there at Harvard mm. and got his PhD, became Harvard a professor. Mm. And then after that, he joined the Nixon government. So those 15 years in Germany, and then his difficult period uh, in New York kind of formed his overall perspective of the world and his personality as well. Mm. And now to wrap things up, with the passing of Henry Kissinger, what are some of the important takeaways we should remind ourselves of as we try to live in stability and in peace in a complex world, Dr. Kim? 
Right. Um, as I rem uh, reminded our listeners here, you know, during the period after the Cold War collapse and then the peak period of globalization, when we were then talking about realism and the uh, importance of power and stuff like that, people were thinking at that time, no, 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 this is the period of globalization. Liberalism matters and we want freedom and we want the same kind of values for around the world. But but as I also mentioned, that period ended about, uh, began to have its ending 15 years ago, 2008 financial crisis. And since then we've been seeing the return of the realist world where uh, you know Kissinger represented. And we are being reminded that in the world politics, uh, self-help your own strength matters <laughs> and you're the one who can only help yourself uh we learned from kissinger periods time memories of united states retreat from vietnam mm -hmm. defeat in vietnam and the united states went to china kissinger flew to china to open doors with china the communist uh, chinese communist he had wanted to have a talk uh, and we saw that happening, and then his detente with Soviet Union. So uh, ideology, values, more than that, what matters is your own interest, and in seeking your own interest and preserve your own survival, mm -hmm. what you need is your own power, your own strength. And Winston Churchill told us a long time ago, there's never, there is no permanent friend in world politics. There's mm -hmm. only permanent interest for yourself and Kissinger has reminded us again and again and his passing again reminds us this uh, strong important principle what a topic thank you very much Dr. Kim we very much appreciate it thank you if you're listening to our program using the podcast service just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time so tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.